This is the Aurelius Podcast, episode 37 with Fred Beecher. I'm Zach Naylor, co-founder at Aurelius and your host for the Aurelius Podcast, where we discuss all things UX, research, and product. This time we caught up with Fred Beecher, where we talked about design ops, research ops, and what that looks like at a large international enterprise company. Fred tells us what his day-to-day looks like as senior manager of experience design operations at Best Buy and how design ops and research ops works in a large company with a lot of designers and researchers. The Aurelius podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the powerful research repository and insights platform. Aurelius helps you analyze, search, and share all your research in one place. Check us out at AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Okay, let's get to it. How's it going, Fred? It's going good. It's uh, been a little while since I've been on the show. It's good to be back. It has. It has for sure, and we're really glad to have you back. So for folks who have listened to our podcast in the past, you will probably recognize Fred's name. He was one of our earlier guests way back when we started the podcast, and that's got to be... I mean, what, at least a couple years ago now. Is that right? Yeah, over three, probably. Yeah, it's been quite some time. Well, with that, I think it's worth not only, you know, reintroducing yourself, but talk a little bit about how your life's changed. You got a new role. You're doing a little bit different work now, too. Yeah, sure. So last time we talked, I believe I was leading the design team at the nerdery. But now I am actually doing design operations for Best Buy which is different in so many different ways. The biggest being the agency versus corporate way of working. This is actually my first corporate gig. Everything else I've done has been agency, so it was interesting to get used to. But yeah, so I've been in UX since about 1998. I believe that was my first job where I was hired to create and run a usability testing lab for the U of M web development team. I didn't know anything about how to do a usability test. I bought a book on an online, uh, what was an online bookstore at the time uh, called Amazon. You may have heard of that bookstore and just basically did what that book said and loved it. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of design since then. A big focus of mine has been, or two big focuses have been prototyping and uh, also developing uh, new designers into the field. So through apprenticeship primarily. So those have been two things uh, that I've been working pretty hard on in the past. But yeah, uh, design operations, that was something that when I saw that come up, I'm like, huh, what is that? And then as I began to talk with people about it, I'm like, huh, that sounds really cool. What I have learned actually doing this is that it's everything that I was hoping to do with design leadership, but was almost never able to do. Short version description that I use of design operations is it's design leadership without all the bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I love that definition a lot. And we'll we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. Please continue. Yeah, sure. So when I was leading the team at the nerdery, there were three main areas of operation that I, as a design leader, would work in. One would be meeting the needs of the business. That one, as you can imagine, was almost always primary. Then the other was meeting the needs of the individuals on the team, which was also something that was really, really important to me. But one of the things that was 
that I was most enthusiastic about was always improving how we as a team and as a company did design. And that's what I got to spend the least amount of time doing because the other two things always took up more highly prioritized, really. But then essentially what design operations is, is it's just that third bit that I really wanted to do. Now that third bit is the entirety of my job. Uh, and I'm very, I feel very happy and fortunate to be able to, to be in this situation. That's really cool. You know, I've actually never thought of it that way. I like the the three ways you break it down and to say that last part is where we so often, anybody who's had any kind of design leadership function, regardless of the company size type, has wanted to do that and probably had a, had at least some passion about that or they wouldn't have been in a leadership role. But you're absolutely right. There's always like, we don't have time. We don't have budget. There's all these other things you need to get done. And now that there's a dedicated role and even nascent corner of our industry that's focused on that. I think it's it's kind of a big deal. I want to go back though, because you're a, you're a pretty seasoned veteran practitioner, right? Started as a practitioner very much and then came into this design ops thing. So you started by saying this, hey, it sounded pretty cool, but how did you really come into that, right? Like what made you say, okay, design ops is what I want to do. And how did you end up getting to do that at Best Buy? Sure. Uh, that's That's an entertaining story. Someone who I've worked with on conferences before, specifically the Interaction Design Education Summit, Dave Maloof, he was one of the people who sort of laid the foundation for design operations and, and what it was. And so when Dave does something, I always, I don't always get it at first, <laughs> but I always pay attention because he's a very forward thinking person. And there's usually something to whatever it is that he's saying. So I was just sort of aware of that term in the background, but then I started looking around for different positions and ended up having some conversations with someone. We were talking about more of a principal designer position, but then she actually mentioned design operations and specifically focusing on apprenticeship. One of the things that, uh, that was really interesting to me is I hadn't really heard of talent development, let alone um, bringing new people into the field as being a design operations or as, as being within the purview of design operations. But then as I thought about it, yeah, it totally made sense because if you're going to have a well-functioning design team, you're going to need a talent pipeline. And with all of the different design bootcamp schools out there now, there are some really talented, hardworking, dedicated people who are looking to get in and who actually know something. <laughs> they may not have experience, but they do have knowledge. And in my experience running apprenticeship at the, at the nerdery, it was, that was the most difficult phase because at that point, people were not billable at all. And that in an agency setting is no one looks kindly on that. I'll just say that. Very much true. <laughs> so yeah, so I, anyway, I ended up interviewing for that position, not getting it, but then East Coast-based UX consultants happened to know some of the, or the VP of customer experience at Best Buy really well and introduced uh, myself to her. And she and I had an amazing conversation at, uh, at Caribou, <laughs> just outside of Best Buy. And... Within three weeks, she had 
uh, gotten budget, written up a job description, and gotten approval for a design ops role, and then interviewed a few people and hired me. <laughs> Why did it take so long? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is really crazy. Yeah. Uh, breakneck timeline for that. I mean, just yeah. from you know basically zero to, to three weeks, everything had been lined up. Again, fascinating. And I want to come back to that. But really what happened here is that you were still looking for a practitioner role and decided that's not really what my bag is all about, right? I mean... I'm going to be completely honest here. That was in 2017, which was by far the worst year of my life. And there were two things that made it bad. One, my father passed away. He passed away in February. And then in October, I got fired from the nerdery, straight up fired. And that was something that my profession, my skill is something that is really big part of my self-identity. I mean, admittedly, I had been looking around beforehand because there were a bunch of changes happening there that, and I could pretty clearly see the writing on the wall that uh, it wasn't going to be a place that I was going to be, feel like I could be really useful within a small amount of, of time. So I was looking and then was basically forced into a situation of having to look the positions that I was looking for, I wasn't necessarily looked to go back into a practitioner role. Principal roles are an interesting balance between practitioner and leadership. You know, actually, as I think about it, the thing that's always interesting to me about principal roles is the design leadership side of things, the, the making design better, making us better at design aspect of that particular role. So yeah, I guess in a way I was kind of already seeking out a design ops role, but I didn't really know that that's what it was called at the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually, it's really fun too that you mentioned Dave because Dave was a guest on our podcast a while ago. I mean, this was, this was over a year ago at this point. We were obviously talking about design ops. It's, uh, this topic is no stranger to our podcast for sure. So I'm, I'm just really excited to talk more about it now with you having done this at a company like Best Buy. So for those of you who listen to our show, and I know there's a bunch of people who are not in the U.S. that listen to the show, I mean, maybe tell, tell them a little bit more about you know, what Best Buy is and how big sure. they are, because they've got a lot going on. Yeah, Best Buy is a major North American consumer electronics retailer. Uh, that's sort of sells it a little bit short because we're doing a lot of work in services now and we sell appliances. We even sell hot dog toasters. I didn't even know that those existed, but we sell hot dog toasters. So if you need one, bestbuy.com, we can hook you up. Uh, but yeah, we have an operation in Canada. We have an operation in Mexico. Uh, we used to have European and English operations, but it was shut down a while ago. We are currently number 75, I believe, on uh, the Fortune 100. So we're a pretty massive business. And as part of that digital side of the operation has only been growing basically since it started. And uh, in the time that I have been there even, which is only about three years, what design means and specifically the role that, that understanding customers and employees really has in our business has become phenomenally important. If you are 
interested in doing homework, you can actually go and look at some of our CEO's uh, financial guidance uh, that she has given in some uh, recent uh, investor days. The decks are actually out there, and you will see a deck presented by a Fortune 100 CEO that specifically talks about human-centered design and experience, experience, experience. Um, So this is something that, honestly, I was not expecting when I went to Best Buy, but since I've been there, the focus on the customer has grown tremendously, and it has been amazing to be able to be a part of that. This isn't you know, just design thinking as a management fad. There's massive effort being put into, into transforming Best Buy into a customer, into a truly customer-centered company, and making every business decision that we make, making the customer a part of that. Uh, if you remember these things called the conference rooms, uh, we have a few of those at the Best Buy corporate headquarters in Richfield. Uh, And in every single conference room, and by a few, I mean at least 10 per floor. So yeah, we've got like probably like 50 conference rooms. Every single one of them has what we have, the the customer-led questions in there, which are basically prompting people, no matter whether they're part of an experienced team or a merchant team or whatever, to ask, okay, how is this benefiting the consumer or the customer? And crucially, how do we know? So yeah, it's it's been amazing to be able to be part of this organization in this time. That's really awesome. And just as a quick reference for those who maybe didn't catch the joke or perhaps are listening to this far in the future, we're, record- <laughs> we're recording in the middle of 2020 where the global pandemic is still going on. So the conference room jab is something that we haven't seen for quite some time. And hence also why we are obviously doing the podcast remotely, despite being in the same city with friends. Yes. But we'll digress on that for the moment. This is really fascinating stuff. And this is something that we're seeing with some of the most successful, very large enterprise companies, mm-hmm. whether they're you know, just based in the US or one country or global, is that this focus on the customer and all of this is kind of converging into, you know, a question I've got. And it's kind of a two-parter. The first one is, did they have this focus before you showed up? Because, you know, you just described a little bit earlier in the space of three weeks, the VP you had a discussion with got funding, had a job description, posted the role, and hired you as someone to make design better at this company, right? So my question is, what changed? Because I can't imagine Best Buy was always this way. And so how do you, this is something we all ask, how do you sell this idea? How do you sell the value of this work at a company like that to really see this kind of change occur? Well, um, let me say this. I can take zero credit <laughs> for any of that. So if it, if it sounds like I'm taking credit for it, I apologize. I, this was a right place at the right time kind of a thing. This particular VP is a force of nature. So she was very much understood the value of human-centered design and not only the value that it provides to regular people, but crucially the value that it provides to business. And she had the ear of our CEO, uh, who was different at that time, and our various uh, C-level leaders, And through this time, it was a slow evolution with periods of drastic transformation. If I go back and look at it, it's very much a linear, I mean, you can definitely connect the dots from where things were at when I came in to where they're at now. 
But yeah, it like, I don't think any one person can take credit for that because it's something that like, I haven't experienced anything like this before. It came both from the bottom up, uh, largely I would say from the, uh, the experience team, but also from the top down. And when things like that happen, it's kind of difficult for that mindset shift not to occur because it's the demand for that is coming from so many different places in the organization. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense that, you know, we had this idea too several years back where I know everybody was um, looking to hire like a chief design officer yeah. or a chief, chief creative or, or chief experience officer. And it's just, everybody was expecting this superhuman to come in and change that. And it's just never been the case where that's, mm-hmm. that's possible. So this, it sounds like a lot of things really came together. And, uh, you know, as you said, right place, right time, you had a nice background to help plug into that mm-hmm. and really help, no pun intended, operationalize that at scale. <laughs> yeah. Right. So cool. Yeah. So let's then the next question becomes, what's your job actually look like day to day? We've talked about, <laughs> I mean, cause I think a lot of people have questions about this. They say design ops. I conceptually get it. I would agree that it's important. So tell me what you do. Right. Sure. And uh, so I'm going to ask you those questions because I think other people want to hear the answers to that as well. Sure. So my job is really weird. First off, I'm not the only person who does design operations at Best Buy, but I'm the only person who's specifically dedicated to it. We have other people who do it as part of, largely as part of uh, design systems work, but also we've got multiple different offices throughout the country. And so we have people with operations focuses in, in those offices, but it's in addition to their regular work. My job is really interesting. And when I introduce myself to new people at Best Buy, basically I say that it's my role to make sure that the practice of human-centered design that we have at the company delivers on the value that it promises to the business. And what that entails is everything from working across all of our different design teams to to articulate a clear and consistent skills framework for anyone working in experience design to giving people envision seats and everything in between. (laughs) So it's very, very high level stuff and very, very like cross-functional stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it's also really, really tiny things. (laughs) Sure. And it's a challenge to, uh, to balance some of that sometimes. Yeah, I bet. I mean, just, yeah, kind of being able to zoom in from all the way down to ground level, swinging the hammer kind of work. Yep all the way up to where are we going? How are designers growing? How are we figuring that out and measuring it and making sure that it happens Mm -hmm. effectively? So let's go back to something else you said too, which I love. I've never heard this definition of it. Design ops is essentially design leadership without all the bullshit. Mm -hmm. So then I got to ask, what is not included in design ops, right? Because it's just clearly you're happy about the stuff that you're doing, which means you're happy you're not doing some other things that you had to before. So what, what sort of things are not included in that bucket? Well, what's great is that the role of design operations allows like design directors, senior directors, that level to really interface with the business well and make sure that they have, that they're really hooked into what the business is doing and how their teams can deliver value for the business, which is fantastic. And for managers, senior managers, 
uh, people who are more who are in charge of the more people aspect of it. What design operations does is it gives them more time to focus on their people. So what it does is it essentially it splits these three things out into three separate roles. Of course, there's you know there's a lot of overlap and these boundaries are basically just rhetorical tropes, but when you don't have that design ops role in there, then everything just sort of merges together. And what happens is that it's really difficult to make big changes to how design gets done because you're either busy uh, meeting the needs of your team or you're busy meeting the needs of your business leaders. So design operations frees up other design leadership to focus on where they can be uniquely effective. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really helpful detail that you had there too. And I mean, just to kind of summarize part of what I hear and and also add, I guess, a little bit of my understanding or own definition of it is that I usually try to tell people, you know, when when they say what is design ops, like my answer to that is think about any company or any organization really they all have an operational function to it, right? So even just think of the entity of design. There is the act of doing design. There's the act of thinking about where design needs to be applied. But operations are the things that glue that together and allow it to be delivered and actually and actually come to be and like provide the value, right? And you think about a company you mentioned, you mentioned Amazon, you mentioned Best Buy. Best Buy sells goods. But operations allow them to actually deliver and get to you and fulfill that promise in some way, right? So it's not just about making the thing and doing the business, but it's got to happen effectively and efficiently. And to me, that's what design operations is. It allows it allows design to happen effectively and efficiently. Yep, exactly. It's um, I like to speak in metaphors. And one of the other metaphors that I use to describe what design operations is requires a little bit of Star Trek knowledge. So hopefully, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Star Trek The Next Generation, which is now unbelievably 30 years old, so it's not the next generation anymore, a really great metaphor for this is the starship. So if we think of Starfleet, right, this is the organization which Captain Kirk and all those Star Trek folks technically work for, and they're trying to accomplish this goal of exploring new world, new life, and new civilizations. That's the, the main strategy. But they're giving their, the captains of their starships, they're giving them leeway to, to figure out exactly how to achieve that goal based on the context that they're in. So in the next generation, uh, what we have is Captain Jean-Luc Picard, clearly by far the best uh, enterprise captain ever. <laughs> I will not argue that with you because it is simply a fact. But it's his job to use the power invested in him, in other words, the ship, to achieve the goals of Starfleet. So in this particular metaphor, the design team itself is the ship, is the Enterprise. And we've got Captain Picard as the the leader of the design team, essentially, deciding how to employ the power of the design team. And then one member of his crew, Captain Jordy LaForge, played by LeVar Burton, who has a, an awesome podcast of his own where he reads stuff. It's just awesome. What his responsibility is, is to make sure that the ship is in such a shape that it can execute whatever whim Captain Picard has, because they get into all sorts of unusual situations. And 
Jordi is always not only keeping it running in an effective way, but he's also the person helping them to uh, reconfigure how the ship works, to do things it wasn't intended to do, to deal with a situation that couldn't possibly have been foreseen. So I, I very much see Jordi's role as being the design operations role with the metaphor of the ship as the team. As a design ops leader, it's my job to make sure that the team has everything it needs. It is nimble enough to be able to shift to accommodate the needs, the changing needs of the business. And, you know, because there might be something like, I don't know, a global pandemic that might require us to completely change how we do our work <laughs> or how we how we make money as an entire organization within a week or two. So yeah, just being able to to make sure that the team can do uh, what its leaders need to do. Awesome. I like the metaphor too and even if you don't know Star Trek, I think it's it applies, right? It's keeping the ship running smoothly, just like you would do maintenance and you have a mechanic on your car or vehicle or anything like that. And really, the moral of the story I'm taking away here is design is taking us to space. I think that's that's the important. Well, point. obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to space. Yeah, uh, there, I mean, maybe I speak too much in metaphors, but some ex examples of that would be making sure that we have the design tools that we need, making sure that we are the needs that we have as a company are supported by our tool set. So that's that's one thing. Reducing friction to getting insights from customers is another thing, which is something that leads us to creating an insights repository. Um, fortunately, uh, there are there's some good software out there for that. We know a little bit about that. Yes, you do. <laughs> you do because when you have a you know traditional UX research at an agency takes X number of weeks. But in a product-based organization like Best Buy, it can't. Things move too fast. And we do so much research that we start to forget what kind of <laughs> what we already know. And so making sure that, uh, that we have insights easily available to be used is a really important part of it because there is no HCD without the human part of it. And that's what insights represent. Technically, my job is design ops, but a huge chunk of that is actually spent with the research teams doing research operations to make sure that we have the access to people that we need to make sure that we are communicating our knowledge about consumer and customer behavior effectively and stuff like that. So, Awesome. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you specifically about research ops. I have a couple questions there, but you covered a lot of ground. So I want to just kind of touch on a couple things. You know, the first one, the first one that I think just again to summarize is uh, you keep talking about this function of efficiency, really, right? So you even use the example of, okay, so an insights repository and making sure that we, we are keeping track of what we already know. And just to share something that I've heard from a customer of ours at Aurelius before they used Aurelius was, and this is, this is their exact quote. It's often faster and easier for me to do new research than it is for me to find past research that I had. And this was another, this was another uh, in-house team, you know, very much like you're working in. And that's just absolutely tragic. It's one of the reasons why we built what we built. But we don't need to dig into the detail of that. Being that you mentioned research ops, I did want to ask you about that. So, you know, again, kind of a two-part question. Number one, is research ops any different than design ops to you? That's number one. 
Number two, give us the nuts and bolts. What actually is research ops to you? What's, you know, how do you break that down? What are you doing in that kind of function too? What I would say is if we were to draw a diagram, I would, you know, draw a big circle and that's design ops. And then I would put research ops in that circle um, because research is a fundamental part of design. Like if, if we're not doing research, we're not doing human-centered design. Um, so I don't think you can, you can't really separate research out from design, nor can you separate design out from research because we're not doing research because it's fun. I mean, yeah, it is fun, but we're doing it to support design. So the two things are really super interconnected. I would say that like, if you actually have to make a choice between doing design operations and doing research operations, you should start with research operations because uh, you're, you're using the word efficiency. I might alter that a little bit to say reducing friction because the most important part of human-centered design is having knowledge about human behavior. If we don't have that, we can't do any of the rest of it. With research ops, the, the real goal is to reduce friction to getting customer and consumer input, feedback, participation, et cetera, in our design process. So what that looks like is there, there's, there's a bunch of different things. One, tooling. I'm old. So I remember when you there wasn't ever such thing as unmoderated testing, remote or otherwise, but now it's a fact of life. So making sure that we have good tools uh, to do that because pace at which human-centered design gets done at a large organization like Best Buy is so phenomenal <laughs> that you need something that has a quick turnaround time like that. Now, not all of our research is done that way, obviously. There's, there's different altitudes of research, but that's one part of it. Another part of it is simply having access to people. Now, a lot of the time, an unmoderated tool sort of covers that basis too. But then if you're looking for specific audiences, Usually you'll need to maintain a pool of those people from which you can pull research panels. That's not something that I have the ability to do right now because I'm also doing the design ops side of things. But if I were to hire someone to help with research ops, that would be one of the first things I would have them work on. The third main component of it, I would say, would be managing what we know, making that easy to communicate across the organization. And then where I think design ops and research ops sort of come together is when it comes to things like building skills, building talent development programs, talent pipelines, things like that. I believe that there, there's a lot of interplay between those things there. You might not necessarily need someone who's dedicated to research ops doing that just for research and having someone doing that just for design. That's definitely a, a collaborative type thing. Nice. Those details are really, really helpful. And again, as is my job, helping host these conversations, I'm going to try to summarize a bit of what I've heard. And to me, then, research ops, it, you know, what it's about, how you break it down is basically helping people get access to humans to learn from, to do research. The second part of it is helping them execute and conduct the research, making sure they have the right tools in place, they have the right access and budget and all that stuff. So they don't have to worry about that. And then third, and uh, obviously I have, I have a bias towards the importance of this, making sure everybody has access to that knowledge and, and can make decisions on it. It can actually have an impact the organization that you're doing this work for. 
Yeah. You know, you actually mentioned something that I failed to mention. One of the least sexy aspects of design ops, budgets. When I talk about reducing friction to getting human insights into the design process, budgets are one of the main sources of friction. And so some of the stuff that we're working on at Best Buy is research has various costs. There are, there are fixed costs, which are you know tooling, staffing, stuff like that. But then there are variable costs like recruiting and participant incentives, things like that. So the, it's relatively easy-ish <laughs> to plan for the fixed costs. It's not necessarily so easy to plan for the variable costs. But if you can, as a research or design ops practitioner, make it a lot easier for those variable costs to get paid for, that goes a really, really long way to making it easier to get uh, to getting human insights into any business decision-making process. It's not sexy at all, but when you realize the impact that it has, it's actually a little bit fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a big deal. And I mean, this comes back to sort of a, a broader topic that I we always tend to touch on in some way, especially with our with our show here and the guests that we have is just this idea of how designers and researchers should work at understanding how business works. Mm -hmm. And I think the more the more knowledge you have of how a business works, the more impact you can have on that business you work with. Yeah. That's yeah. just that's just fundamentally been true in my experience and others oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. No, I would say that the degree to which you need to understand how business works as an operations person is much, much different. Like you have to know details of how things get paid for, blah, 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 which isn't ne super necessary or interesting, I would say, to designers. But you do have to understand how we as a company make money and the kinds of things that uh, that influence the money we make and the money it costs us to make that money. <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. And I've said this a lot too, where I think in your, in your perspective, where you're coming from right now is if I'm going to ask for budget on something, I need to be able to help the person I'm asking that budget for understand what it's going to do for our bottom line. Because it's, it's not just a matter of fighting for budget or fighting for money to get a tool or do research or do this or do that they need to understand how that amplifies something else we're doing in the business. And if you're able to help them make that connection, the easier it is. Awesome. Well, you know, we talked about tools a little bit. Do you have, are there tools as part of a design ops person or research ops person that, you know, you're using often that you're helping to do this work that uh, you think other people should know about? I don't know to what extent I can really speak for Best Buy in terms of endorsing things. I mean, we do, I mean, I'm on an, an Aurelius podcast, so I can tell you that we use Aurelius for sure. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I think based on what you've told me, we use it in kind of an unusual way, I think, because uh, we use it primarily as a repository and not so much as a, an analysis tool. A way to answer this question, I think, would be that as a, as a design ops professional, it's one of the things that's absolutely crucially for me to understand is team goals and uh, to be able to understand how our tool set fits into our ability to meet those goals or not meet those goals. And that's sort of what drives the decision to start looking around for something different or you know, negotiating with vendors for 
a different kind of a deal or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, it's having a, a real good sense of what those needs are. Now, that is kind of a challenge because like at Best Buy, we have a number of different individual design teams that for legitimate reasons have different needs. So being able to, what I've called it before is relentlessly cross-functional is really crucial because, you know, I sit within one particular design team. Um, but what I uh, don't do is, or, or within that design team, uh, I still need to reach out to other design teams for to understand their needs, even though I'm not technically part of that team. You know, one more question I would ask as we're coming up at the end of the time here. If I forgot everything we talked about and somebody were to come through and say, what's the one big takeaway that we want to make sure nobody forgets about our conversation, particularly as it relates to design ops and research ops, what would that be for you? I would say that that both design and, and research ops are something that help make sure that design team provides the, the value that human-centered design promises. So if human-centered design promises $100 worth of value without operations, it might develop or it might deliver $40, $50 worth of value. But with operations, the goal is for it to deliver as close to 100 as possible. And usually we're like 80, 90. <laughs> Awesome. Shoot for the moon. Some You'll land somewhere within the stars. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very good. Well, this is a really awesome conversation we've had, Fred. And uh, just to kind of give you the opportunity, is there anything that you want to share with folks listening, uh, whether as you know, it relates directly to the podcast or anything we've said, or just anything that you want to kind of share or promote? Uh, not at this point. It's, you know, I've, I've done a lot of conference talks and, and trainings and stuff like that. But right now, my whole world is taken up by operating design at Best Buy. <laughs> And that's a, a pretty hefty job. And it sounds like you're having some fun and having, yeah, it's a good job. having some success at doing that. And so we wish you the continued success on that. Thanks a lot for taking the time to chat today. Sure. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody listening and hopefully you got something out of this and we'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the research and insights tool that helps you analyze, search, and share all your research in one place. So you can go from data to insights to action faster and easier. Check out Aurelius for yourself with a 30-day trial by going to AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you would give us a review on iTunes to let others know what you think. You can catch all new episodes of the Aurelius podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, and more. Stay up to date when new episodes come out by signing up for email updates on our website.